Well, what a great day to be gathered in the Lord and to honor Him and His Word and our worship and praise to Him. Uh, here at the Cross Church on Sunday mornings, we love to just make much of Jesus. And I hope that that's your heart here today as well. Uh, to make much of the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's worthy of our praise, isn't he? And what a great day to come and to honor him and all that we do and say. And so this is going to be a wonderful day together. This message this morning out of 1 Peter chapter 1 is on the assurance of the resurrection. In past years here, we've had messages on how, what, how do we prove the resurrection? Then last year was on what does the resurrection prove? But this year is the assurance of the resurrection. I've simply entitled it a living hope. A living hope. We need hope today. We live in a world that seems hopeless and becoming more and more tumultuous as every day goes on. And we need hope. And so this morning we're going to see a few things on how the Lord defines hope for us here, a hope of the assurance of the resurrection. Would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're just going to look at verses 3 to 9 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. The Apostle Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of God's holy word this morning. A wonderful truth that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us here today in this profound piece of Scripture. Peter is writing to a group of people that were dispersed throughout all of Asia Minor. They were hurting people. They were suffering people. They were going through great trials in their faith. And he tells them that they are, in verse 1, elect exiles, chosen exiles. Our hearts can identify with this in our generation because we read of just a few days ago where members of the terrorist organization Al-Shabaab killed 150 Christians in Kenya, Africa. It's a sad day that we live in, isn't it? It seems like weekly, if not daily, we're hearing reports of Christians being murdered by Islamic terrorist groups from around the world. 
In Peter's day, these dear people in Christ were dispersed. They were refugees, much like what is going on in the Congo today. Millions driven from their homes, driven away from their towns and their cities to live really as vagabonds on the streets and in the visiting communities. Peter's writing to a suffering people. And our hearts go out to brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering for their faith in the world around us today. And it just serves to give good reason that we do not need to take for granted the wonderful freedom that we have in our nation to come and gather like this still and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We shouldn't let these moments slip us by. For those freedoms, even in America, may be taken from us at one time. So Peter's writing to a group of men and women who are dispersed. They are suffering. And to cure their suffering, to heal the anguish of a broken heart, to encourage their hearts of despair, he points them to the glorious hope through the resurrection that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. A living hope. A living hope. We know that throughout all of history, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead is the single most important truth event of any religion and is absolutely unique to Christianity. As we celebrated communion here this last Friday evening, we were giving praise and honor to the Lord of glory for dying on the cross for our sins. That's atonement. Our sin had to be paid for. The crushing weight of our sin, every sin that would ever be committed by everyone that would ever believe was placed on Jesus on the cross. And there, not only the weight of our sin, but the guilt and the penalty of our sin pressed upon him. So much so that Isaiah 53 says even something more profound happened on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, that not only our sin and the guilt and the penalty of sin was placed on Jesus on the cross, but Isaiah says in Isaiah 53 that it pleased the Father to crush him for our iniquities. Think of that. It pleased God to crush the Son upon Calvary's cross. And that's why we say first and foremost at the cross, Christ died for God. It pleased God to crush him. What does that mean? It means that God's holy wrath, his holy anger that we deserve in an everlasting hell forever, it was placed on Jesus. So much so that the Lord cried out from Calvary's tree, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. And certainly to the Jewish leaders that were there, he's proclaiming, even on the cross, to be Messiah, to be God incarnate, God in the flesh, who can give as Lamb of God, taking away the sins of the world. This is great, profound love, isn't it? For we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his love for us, that in while we were sinners... Christ died for us. This is the miracle of the gospel. We don't have to be good enough 
to come to God. He takes us as we are, as sinful people, and he makes us new creations. All other religions prescribe a way that they think can be making man, sinful man, good enough to come to God, but we know that we're not good enough in our own strength to come before a holy God, so he had to come to us. And he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ and gave us his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the gospel, isn't it? It's the wonderful hope. We can't earn our salvation. He gives it to us as a grace gift in Jesus. What wonderful hope we have. Now, how important is the resurrection? It is the chief cornerstone and the foundation of our faith. Uh, This morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 to 19, here is what the Apostle Paul says of the resurrection. How important is the resurrection? He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Think of that. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, in other words, who have died, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, in other words, if Jesus is just a good moral teacher, we are of all people most to be pitied. But the good news is, Jesus Christ did not stay in that tomb. He rose bodily from the grave. It wasn't a spirit raising from the dead. It wasn't the imagination of the apostles. It wasn't something that somehow they felt the warmth of the newborn daily dawning sun in their hearts shine and felt maybe the the goosebumps of his presence near them if some people have described it to me in other religions. No, Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead and as he appeared to the disciples in the upper room And he said, touch the nail prints in my hands. Touch the hole in my side. Touch me because a spirit does not have flesh and blood. Jesus Christ rose bodily from the grave. And it's to this risen Lord and Savior this morning that I hope your hearts will be encouraged on the assurance of the resurrection that he's given us a living hope in him. So let's look at this together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Four things this morning I would just like to encourage your hearts in on this wonderful Easter morning, this Resurrection Sunday. Number one is praise. Number one is praise, a living hope. It begins with praise. Notice this in the first part of verse 3. Blessed or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though God was known as creator and redeemer throughout all of the Old Testament, he was rarely ever called father, but Christ, however, always addressed God as his father. 
And it was always in the Gospels, and he does that so that he will be able to identify. He's claiming to be of the same essence, of the very same person as God the Father. In other words, Jesus is claiming to be God. That word blessed simply means to offer praise, to offer praise to God. We see this in the Psalms, blessed O the Lord, bless my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He's worthy of praise. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, creator, redeemer. And so Jesus Christ is saying he's of the same essence as of the Father. In John chapter 10, verses 29 and following, he says this, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus Christ is referring to the Father as his very Father in glory. The Father, God the Father, God the Son. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here he calls him the Father of all mercies and the Father of all comfort. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies that's in him. That's good news, isn't it? That we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. God has done that for us. And so this morning, as we have offered him praise, we want to personalize this and say that he is our Lord. He is our Savior. This is our God who sent Jesus on our behalf, who was risen from the dead so that we might know him and love him and serve him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, he says, He who has joined the Lord has become one in spirit with him. And so for suffering Christians, for Christians under trial, for Christians going through very traverse times in their life, we can say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It begins with praise, a living hope. We want to offer him praise this morning. Secondly, this morning, we see that a living hope not only begins with praise, but it's built upon a promise. Number two, we have a promise in these verses of a living hope of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. Peter says in verse 3, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now let's stop there for just a moment. According to his great mercy. According to his great mercy. What is mercy? Uh, we think the opposite of mercy is being justice, of getting what we deserve. Mercy is, is not getting what we do deserve. It is not being tried and convicted for our sin, for our crimes. Mercy is the divine pardon from the Father of all mercies, from God himself in our lives. Sinners need God's mercy. We are all in a desperate, wretched, pitiful condition as sinners apart from God and his mercy. 
We saw this in the book of Ephesians a few weeks ago here as we are studying that great epistle where he says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. David says we're conceived in sin. And we do sinful things because we have a sinful nature. Even the little ones here with us this morning, we have some two-year-olds and three-year-olds. You can hear them speaking in the service. I want you to know something. Their little talking doesn't bother me, okay? Now, if some of you are offended, you can leave, but I want the kids to stay, all right? They have wonderful little voices. And here, God has made them. But we know at a very young age, at the age of one or two years of age, that they usually start to say their favorite word, which is no, right? Some of the first words our seven kids have said, very first words, no, besides mom and dad. And here we are in a pitiful condition. We are conceived in sin. We are dead in trespasses in sin. We were slaves to our own desires of our heart and our mind, and we were slaves to the prince of the power of the air. And Paul even says that we were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. Think of that. But here it's the God of all mercy. It's according to his great mercy that he has caused us to be born again. And so God has provided this great mercy for us. In Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, listen to these words. He says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He delights in steadfast love. Who is a God like the God of the Bible that we know? Who is a God like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Who is a God like Jesus Christ who left heaven's throne and came and dwelt among us and took our sin and died for us and then rose bodily from the grave? No other faith can proclaim this. He's a God that's full of mercy. In Isaiah 27 and verse 4, he says, I have no wrath. Would that I have thorns and, and briars to battle I would march against them. I would burn them up together. But here our Lord has extended mercy. In Psalm 108, verse 4, he says, For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the very clouds. And in Psalm 103, we're told his mercy is higher than the heavens are above the earth. Listen, it takes an ocean of his divine mercy to cover the pebble of my sinfulness so that I can have salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so our sin has drowned in an ocean of his mercy before us. No wonder Paul says in Titus 3, 5, that he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So notice this. It's according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice that phrase here before us, a living hope. A living hope. This is not a hope that is a dead past remembrance. This is not a hope that somehow we pay homage to in a grave where the ashes of our Lord and Savior have been there for 2,000 years. On the contrary, 
If you go to Israel to see the tomb of Jesus, I have good news to report. There's nothing to see because that tomb is empty. He is a risen Savior giving us a living hope. The Bible describes this hope that it comes from God in Psalm 43, 5. That it is a gift of grace in 2 Thessalonians 2.16. That it's defined by Scripture in Romans 15.4 where Paul says the encouragement of the Scriptures that we might have hope. It's a reasonable reality. We are to give a reason for the hope that is in us. It's secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's confirmed by the Holy Spirit who in Romans 15, 13, Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We're never without hope. We have an abounding hope, a hope that's confirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ and through his resurrection. Listen, it's a hope that even defends Christians against Satan's attacks. We have the salvation, the helmet of salvation, the hope of the helmet of salvation. When Satan comes against you with that double-edged sword of doubt and discouragement, take hope, my brothers and sisters. You have a salvation that is secure, and therefore his hope produces joy, and his hope will ultimately be fulfilled in Christ's return. We have a blessed hope in the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A living hope in Him. So this is our hope. It's through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice this here with me in verse 4. In verse 4, we have an unusual hope. How secure is this inheritance? This is what this resurrection points to. This is what this hope points to. It is not only a living hope, but notice how secure that hope is for us. Because you might think that, brother, could I lose this hope? Could I lose this inheritance? Could it ever be taken from me? I have Christians say this to me all the time. It's probably the number one question I get asked as a pastor. Can I lose my salvation? Can I tell you something this morning? If your salvation was up to you to win it, then you could lose it. But because he's won it for us and he's gifted it to us by his grace, it's impossible for you to lose your salvation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death can't, life can't, principalities and powers can't. He alone has secured us. If he has justified us, if he has saved us, who can bring a charge against his people? If God is for us, finish it. Who can be against us? And the answer is no one. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how secure is this great hope? Notice these three words here in it this morning for us. First of all, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
Let's look first of all at that word imperishable. It means incorruptible. Incorruptible. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot in any way, shape, or form be soiled. It can never fade. It is an inheritance, incorruptible. It's imperishable. It is impossible for it to somehow be corrupted by the stain of sin. It is in Jesus Christ, and it is one that is hopeful for us, imperishable. Secondly, it is undefiled. It is undefiled without deflect or defect or flaw. This is wonderful. This is a hope that is not only incorrupted, it is undefiled. It has no flaw. It has no defilement. It has no sin. It has no adulteration to it. It is without defect or flaw. And therefore, we may place the whole confidence of our eternal destiny in Christ upon this hope. How secure is that inheritance? It's not only imperishable and undefiled, Oh, I love this phrase. It is unfading. Some of your translations might say, it fades not away. It fades not away. Oh, I love this. This word is used in several inscriptions and on tombs and so forth. It's a rare word, but it means that the inheritance in Christ cannot, as it were, fade away like bones that will turn to dust and ash within a grave. It is secure. It never fades. It's living. But you might say, okay, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. But how secure is it for us? Notice this phrase, beloved. It is kept or reserved in heaven for you. Now that's hope, isn't it? It's not hope that is kept by the certainty of our own obedience. It is not hope that is kept by religious works and good deeds that we could do. It is a hope that is reserved or kept in heaven for us. It's a word that means to be guarded. In other words, no burglars or bandits can break through where the inheritance is kept. It is reserved in heaven for us. And will you notice here, he says it's kept in heaven for you. This is something wonderful. It's personal. He is your Savior if you know him here this morning. He's given you a hope that nobody can steal away. It's placed, the treasure is placed in heaven where moth cannot get to it, where rust cannot get to it. It's imperishable, undefiled. It has no defect. It's reserved in heaven, kept for you forever. He has done this for you. What great hope we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the hope of the gospel. So beloved, what a promise. What a promise. It's according to his great mercy. It's undefiled, imperishable, unfading, reserved in heaven. It's a living hope and it was secured through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, as the certainty of the resurrection occurred, your salvation in Jesus has also occurred. Great hope in him. Great hope in him. So here, there is a resurrection. We are given a blessed assurance in it. But thirdly, we see here this morning that this living hope is also a protected hope. It's a protected hope. Notice this in verse 5 this morning. 
It's not only a hope that is promised, it's a hope that's protected. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, this word guarded is a military term. It's a military term. It means that he has placed guard over the hope, over our life, over our salvation, so that no foreign enemy could come in and plunder that city again. No foreign agent could come, could come in. It's God's power that is protecting us, that is guarding us, and it's through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, we've died once to the penalty of sin. We die daily to the power of sin. But one day, we're even going to be free from the presence of sin. Can you hardly wait for that day? This is what the apostle is saying. You are going to have a hope that is guarded, no less protected by the power of God through faith. And it's for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How sufficient is God? How sufficient is God? Listen, he has all power to keep you. He has all wisdom to direct you. He has all love to redeem you. He has all mercy to pardon you. He has all grace sufficient to forgive you. He has all righteousness to clothe you. He has all goodness to supply you. And beloved, he has all joy to crown you. That is the greatness of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Power to keep, wisdom to direct, love to redeem, mercy to pardon, grace to forgive, righteousness to clothe, goodness to supply, and joy to crown. Here's the great miracle of the gospel. On the cross, Jesus was treated as if he lived our life so that by grace through faith in Jesus, we could be treated as if we lived his life. He is holy and perfect, yet he took our sin. We are sinful to the core, but he gives us his righteousness. He gives us the perfection of who he is and his character. Our great God protects us. Now listen, with a hope that's worthy of praise to our God and Father, with a hope that's built on an eternal promise through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, with a hope that is protected by God's power, it would be missing something this morning of our text if we didn't say, what about the struggles and the trials that I go through? How real is this hope? This is just not something for Sunday morning, something that is lofty, something that is academic, something that is just mere religious talk. This is something that comes down into the pots and pans of life where you and I live every single day. Number four this morning, it's a hope that perseveres. It's a hope that gives praise. It's a hope that's built on promise. It's a hope that's protected. But here we have a hope, beloved, that perseveres through our most difficult trials. Notice this in verse 6 with me this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you rejoice. Now remember, Peter is writing to Christians who are dispersed, who have nothing 
who've lost everything. They've lost home. In many cases, they've lost family. They've lost their ability to work. But he says, in this, in this hope, in this security, in this salvation, you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In verse 7, we read then, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, mark it down this morning, all genuine faith, all true faith, all true Christians will go through trials. We see it here this morning. Our faith, if it's a genuine faith, that word in the Greek means an unhypocritical faith. It means a faith that is without spot and without, without blemish to it. It is a genuine faith. Genuine faith will be tested. If you find yourself in the furnace this morning, if you find yourself in trial, if you're saying, Steve, I came to this Easter morning celebration with a heavy heart, can I tell you something that Peter is writing this for you. You're grieved by various trials. Your faith is genuine. It will be tested. Notice the value that, that the apostle Peter places on this salvation. He said it's more precious than gold. Your faith, the genuineness of a tested faith, it's more precious than gold. It Though perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's a precious faith. It's a tested faith. And though it may be tested by fire. You know, Nero was emperor of Rome at this time, and the early church were called atheists if they did not say that Caesar is Lord. And they had to bow down and worship at the temple of Caesar, it was the imperial cult worship. Nero wanted to be known as a god, and he wanted to be prayed to, and he wanted to be worshipped. This was satanic at its core because Satan has always desired to be worshipped and tried to supplant the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he said, if you have a genuine faith, and it's a tested faith, and if you're going through trials and you're going through difficult moments in your life, Rejoice, because that is a more precious thing to God than gold. Tested by fire, to be found in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what's the source of that? We see this in our next verse, in verses 7 and 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Jesus had been resurrected already. Jesus had gone home to be with the Father, and these believers hadn't seen them, though Peter walked with him for three and a half years. Notice the parallels here. You've not seen him, but you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. How is that done? With the eyes of faith. We love the Lord this morning, though we have not seen him with the physical eye. We believe in him, though we have never seen him. But that keeps us persevering for Christ. It's a love that's unalterable. It's a love that is unshattered. It's an unfailing love. It's a love that can never be taken away. It's a love that is greater than all of our sin, greater than all of our trials, greater than all of our short failings with our families and friends. 
He says, you do not see him, but you love him. You believe in him, even though you haven't seen him. But notice this word again. You're again given over to joy, to rejoice. And we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. It means that words fail to give praise to God for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What's the outcome of that persevering faith? What's the outcome of a faith that in this fallen world will continue on through trial and through difficult situations? Obtaining the outcome of your faith, he says, the salvation of your souls. Listen, anyone can run the sprint for a while. Anyone can show up to church on Easter Sunday morning. But will they be there week after week? Will they take the scriptures and hide it deep in their hearts? Will they daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what our gospel teaches us. That's what the scriptures teaches. It's a daily walk. If I only told my wife that I love her once a year on our on our anniversary on June 19th, she would be throwing something like an iron skillet upside my, my head about once a year. If that was the only time I brought her flowers, the only time I said that I treasure you, the only time I told her I loved her, how much more to our Lord Jesus Christ. If we only are worshiping him one time a year, maybe uh, Easter and Christmas Christian, but we need to persevere knowing that we love him, we believe in him, and we're filled with joy inexpressible. Listen, that's joy amid difficult circumstances. That's joy in the furnace. That's joy when we're amid great trial. But he says we've obtained the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our soul. You know, this is how the early church, I don't know if you know this, this is how the early church would greet one another in the Lord. They wouldn't go to someone and say, hi, how are you, or how are are you doing today? They would walk up to someone and say, rejoice, rejoice. The Greek word kairite, it's a derivative of the word kara for joy, and it means the quiet confidence God is in control. Try it sometime. As you go to maybe St. Arbucks after church today, Starbucks, or if you're with your friends or family later on in the day and you go to them and say, Kairite, they might say, what is that? And it means to rejoice. It means the quiet confidence God is in control. Hurting people, suffering people need to know God is sovereign over our pain. God is sovereign over our suffering. God is sovereign in every area of our lives, including the trials that we're in. Can you thank him for them this morning? Because they're more precious than gold. You might feel alone. You might feel that all have abandoned you. But he will never leave nor forsake you. My brother and sister, you have a living hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And therefore, we can say it's in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid rock, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Amen? Amen. Let's bow in a word of prayer together this morning.
Oh, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the great hope that we have in you. Thank you for the hope of the gospel that we just pray that this would be a hope that honors you, a living hope, a fragrant offering, a hope that begins with praise, even if we're dispersed, even if we're suffering, even if we don't have much money this morning, even if we're privated of the comforts of this world. We have a living hope in you. It's an unshakable hope because it's obtained through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's given to us according, Father, to the great mercy with which you've showered your mercy upon us with. The Father of all mercies. Thank you, Lord, that it's kept in heaven, imperishable, undefiled. It will never fade away. It's protected and guarded by the power of God. And so therefore, Lord, we, we can persevere through every trial. And we thank you for that great hope today. Lord Jesus, may we not forget loved ones and friends and family that we know, co-workers in the area who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. May we go to them. May we share with them, even this day, the good news of what this hope is, that the hope is a living Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous who has risen from the dead for our behalf to give you praise and to give you glory. And so, Lord, we offer this hymn of praise to you as our benediction this morning, as our amen. In Christ alone, our hope is found. The living Savior, the living and true Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. May you inhabit now the praise of your people. Thank you for the hope of the resurrection that we do not serve a dead remembrance, but a living Savior. For it's in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.